Good morning, everybody. You are... We'll be aware, if you've been here for any uh, of the previous few weeks, uh, that we're on our journey through the letter to the Hebrews, or the sermon to the Hebrews. Uh, if, you want to, if you have Bibles, do turn there now, and we're going to read just in a moment. But before I launch into that uh, passage for today, I just want to take a quick pit stop, take a look back at the road already traveled, because um, what we find in the uh, in most of the letters of the New Testament, is that the author tends to pack in his or her whole message into the, th- the, the first bit um, before spending the rest of the letter uh, kind of uh, expanding that message. So uh, as a result, it's almost like every sentence in that first bit could be a jumping-off point for a sermon or even a series of sermons. Uh, so if, like me, you feel... Uh, like the last couple of weeks have been spent dealing with incredibly knotty theological issues that have been quite difficult to understand. Let me just explain why that is. It's because for the last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with incredibly knotty theological issues that are difficult to understand. Uh, So I hope that explanation makes sense. Um, But allow me to give you the briefest of summaries uh, uh, for the points that Toby has dealt with over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Like in the, if we could click to the next slide, like in the uh, first chapter of John's Gospel, uh, the Letters of the Hebrews is at pains to explain that Jesus is unlike anything or anyone that we have ever known or heard of. And Jesus is these things according to the letter to the Hebrews. He's the reflection of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's very being and nature. He's the one who both created the world and sustains everything. And he's the one whom angels worship. So he's better than the angels. But he is also, click, the one who became flesh and blood, just as we are. And the one who therefore became our brother. The one who suffered and died. The one who is a faithful and obedient apostle, and the one who is our high priest. So all of these things describe Jesus, the God-man, who is both the one who creates and sustains the universe and the one who is our brother, who represents us in his priestly ministry in heaven. That's a human role, and we're going to deal with that at much greater length later on in the letter. But interspersed through all of these theological statements is a constant therefore, that what we ought to do is pay close attention to these things, uh, that we have to hold on to God's truth with all of our strength. Uh, Otherwise, we, we might just drift away because we haven't tied ourselves to Jesus and his truth. And where Toby left us was the first paragraph in chapter three, which is a comparison between Jesus and Moses, Uh, Back in the mists of time in March earlier this year, uh, Toby kicked off our teaching series on Exodus with a talk that was titled, God's Plan is a Man. And that man was Moses. So we have to remember just how important Moses was to the original hearers of this message. Because Moses was God's plan for the entire salvation of the people that were in slavery in Egypt. 
And the point of this comparison is that God's plan for our salvation now is still a man. But that man is not Moses, that man is Jesus, who because of all of these things is so much greater than Moses. He was, uh, Moses, it's, uh, Hebrew says, was faithful in God's house, but Jesus is faithful over God's house as God's son. And because of where this leaves us and because of the section we're going to look at today, I get the, uh, the lucky opportunity of a big reveal uh, today because uh, we get to see how all of this message to the Hebrews ties into all of the things that we've talked about in Exodus earlier this year and most importantly, why it matters for what we do today. And if you hear me say the word today a lot today, it's because today is the pivotal word in today's section. There is an urgency, an absolute urgency to what we do today because of what is written in this message. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. And it'll come up on the slide uh, in slightly smaller than I'd like writing, but uh, if you have Bibles, follow those. Therefore, because of, uh, because of all of these things we've learned so far, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, therefore, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, in case you didn't hear it the first seven times, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day 
today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words I've already said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Just going to take a sip here. So most of that pretty much teaches itself. So let's move on. Mm. You know, it's not often actually in the Bible where we, where we get a bit of uh, scripture and then interpretation of scripture. So that's all sort of in, in the passage in itself. So the way I'm going to treat this today is to look at how it fits into what we've been calling an Exodus mindset. You will have heard us use this phrase time and time again. But my hope today is that this part of Hebrews helps us to really get it, to understand why an Exodus mindset is so important for our understanding of who God is, who we are, what God has done for us, and what we're supposed to do about it today. To steal uh, uh, from Toby's talk a couple of weeks ago, uh, but recognizing that we're all just thieves stealing from other thieves, Hebrews describes our experience as Christians living in these last days as the same kind of thing as the wilderness wanderings of Israel in the Exodus. Like them, we've been set free to worship God and to become his people. That's our salvation. Like them, we are on our way to a promised land. That's our Sabbath. And like them, we can also expect trials and difficulties along the way. And like them, we require perseverance and faith. Those are what I'm calling our struggles. So, Toby, in his previous talk, talked about the servants, the son, the saints, God's sovereignty, Jesus' sonship, our salvation, and so what. So this is continuing the so what part of that by talking about our salvation, our struggle, and our Sabbath. So the importance of this passage today is that we recognize how we're currently faced with the same choices as those wilderness wanderers back in the Exodus. The choice is to trust God and to obey him, or to distrust God and to drift away from him. To quote Toby again, but this time um, from the Exodus Express when he was preaching about Moses and the wilderness years, God is not so concerned with how fast we get there, as he is with who we are when we get there. 
The wilderness is a place of transformation between salvation on the one hand and Sabbath on the other. And our transformation is going to involve struggle. And so the writers of the Hebrews, just like in Paul's letters, uh, says that the history of Israel in the Exodus is our history. It's the church's history. He says, uh, your fathers put God to the test. That means your fathers, your ancestors. He's talking about us. So in order to get into this Exodus mindset, I'm going to just lead us through a reminder of what happened in Exodus. And later on, we're going to tie this all together. So next slide. Oh, we have it. Good. The Exodus. The people of God were enslaved in Egypt. God's plan was a man. That man was Moses, who was the messenger of God's judgment. And Egypt were uh, sent ten terrible plagues. The last of these plagues was the Passover. But God's judgment passed over the people of Israel because of the sacrifice and the blood of a lamb. And the Egyptians had had enough at this point and they let the people go. But they regretted that decision and they pursued them. And they were defeated as Moses led the people through the Red Sea. So we've got the defeat of the enemy both at Passover and at the Red Sea. Next. They enter the wilderness. God said at this point, go into the promised land. Go into the land that I promised with you, for you. And the people said, no, they're all too big. We're afraid. Uh, So God said, okay, uh, stay here and die here. And the people said, oh, okay, let's go. And God said, no. The people in the wilderness spent that time complaining and disobeying God. They even said that life was so much better when they were enslaved in Egypt. And uh, at a particular point in that story, there's a location that Moses called Massah and Meribah, which are, the wor- which are words meaning strife, contention, quarrel, and dispute. So the wilderness wanderings were characterized by these things, strife and contention, Quarrel and dispute, hardness of heart. Next, the promised land. Despite, oh, excuse me, despite their uh, constant contending with God, God yet remained true to the promise that he had made. It took them longer than they expected, but eventually Joshua led them into that land that God had promised for them. And yet the story develops through the whole of the the Old Testament, through Joshua, Judges, and Samuel, and Kings, and Chronicles, and all the prophets. Basically, the the rest of the Old Testament is a story uh, not of peace and harmony in the land that God had promised, but a constant story of um, the wilderness disobedience still characterizing the life of Israel. Back and forth between obeying God, disobeying God. Obeying God, disobeying God. And that is why Hebrews says this. Pow. Slide, please. Ah. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
This is uh, from the Psalms. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So our image of rest is not supposed to remind us of Canaan, where uh, Abraham had been promised and God delivered, by the way, but it's supposed to remind us of Eden, where God himself rested on the seventh day. So this whole section of Hebrews is explaining that right now, today, we are reliving this story, this pattern of exodus, wilderness, and promised land. But this time it's completely different because instead of Moses and instead of Joshua, it's Jesus, who is all of those things that we've talked about. It's because of what Jesus has done for us more permanently, more perfectly than Moses or Joshua ever could. So let's see what Jesus has done for us. Slide, please. First of all, Jesus' death on the cross causes God's judgment, which we deserve, to pass over us. So just like in the original Passover, The people of God are, the blood of a sacrifice causes God's judgment to pass over them. But the death of one so perfect and righteous as Jesus meant that unlike in that original exodus, it's not just a particular group of people at a particular time that are saved, but all people at all times, including today. So Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross is effective for everybody. But death couldn't hold Jesus. He rose from the dead, which, by the way, is the single most important historical fact of our faith. Because if he did not rise from the dead, then we have no hope at all. And in case you think, I'm lying. That's in the Bible too. But he did conquer death and we do, therefore, have a hope. Like uh, in the Exodus, what Jesus did through this was he rescued us out of slavery. Slavery not in Egypt, but slavery to sin, which is basically uh, disobedience to God. And uh, Dr. Moffat, when he preached uh, for us a couple of Weeks ago, he said that for the Hebrews author, disobedience is motivated primarily by fear of death. Uh, one of my uh, one author who is fast becoming one of my favorites is a guy called David De Silva. He said this about death: whether we fear the little death of belittlement or the full measure of death itself we frequently do not expose ourselves by standing up for God's values and vision. The fear of death drives us instead to build up visible, worldly defenses against our own mortality, to find ways to affirm our significance in the face of eventual decay, whether this takes the form of finer homes and possessions, or power and control issues, 
within family or business or government or uh, other productions of monuments to our existence or our obsession with outward appearance. All of these things can trammel us up in trivial and empty pursuits. So the fear of death causes us to look not at what God has promised for us in the future, but for what we can actually experience right now. Because we see death as the end. But these three historical facts of Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and his ascension into heaven, which we're going to talk about more later in Hebrews, uh, those things have resulted in God's complete and certain victory over everything that has ever enslaved us. So what are we saved into? Next slide, please. Today, this is what Hebrews calls today. Having freed us from death, we find ourselves in the wilderness. And our instruction for today are these things. Do not harden your hearts. Do not fall away from the living God. Exhort each other every day, as long as it's called today, which it is, by the way. Hold confidence firm to the end. Strive to enter God's rest. None of these are are passive instructions. These are all things that we have to put our back into, spiritually and physically. And by the way, this is just a little aside, let none of us believe the cultural lie that our faith is supposed to be a private matter. Because what this passage instructs us to do is to exhort one another to continue to do these things. To find ways to fix our eyes on Jesus. To remind one another that our goal is to follow Jesus into the rest that he has entered. So this is something we're all supposed to be doing together. Next, Sabbath rest. Jesus is our new Joshua. And the name Jesus, as Dr. Moffat said, is actually the Greek form of the name Joshua. So this is much more than just a a conceptual connection. But what kind of rest is this Sabbath? Okay, to learn that, we need to fly back to the beginning, to the first bit in the Bible, Genesis 2. After six days of creating the heavens and the earth, God rested on the seventh day. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. Holy meaning set apart, different, peculiar from the rest of the time. He rested And presenced himself in a garden where the man and woman he had created enjoyed his company. That's what the Sabbath rest is. Now zooming right to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. The day of future Sabbath rest is seen in a vision by John. He says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So these are the, these are the things that characterize our future Sabbath rest. So let's put all these things together. Next slide, please. Salvation, the events that have taken place in the past. Jesus has slaved us from slave. Excuse me. Jesus has saved us from slavery. It's a bit of a slip to say he has enslaved us, but actually the language um, used in the New Testament is that we become slaves of God. In a way, we're brought out of bondage from sin and into bondage with our Heavenly Father who loves us, who made us. That wasn't written down. It's just because I slipped there. I just needed to uh, contextualize my slip. Anyway, (laughs) it is true, though. (laughs) Through God's death in Jesus, his defeat of death as he rose his ascension into heaven to become our high priest. God has achieved for us what the Exodus event achieved for ancient Israel, but in a way that is perfect and permanent because it was Jesus and not Moses who achieved them for us. Next, let's look at where we're going. Next slide, please. This is where we're going. The thing that is to come, the things that will take place in our future. Back in the original story, God delivered on his promise that Abraham would have their, uh, Abraham would be the father of a nation that would live in their own land. But after this, we see in the Psalms, God promised a future rest. This rest is a Sabbath where we get to rest like God rests. We get to rest with God. Again, because it is Jesus who has achieved this for us and not Joshua. These were prototypes. Moses and Joshua were pre-echoes of the eternal plan that God had for us in which Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, has achieved far more perfectly, far more permanently. But today, next slide. Oh, sorry, back. Never mind. If you're listening to the podcast, we're currently fighting with a a decrepit computer. Um, Today, we find ourselves in the wilderness. All of this is just so that we can understand 
what faces us today, what our choices are today. Between these two events of exodus and promised land, of cross and resurrection and of Sabbath rest, we find ourselves here and now. And this message is urgent for us, just as it was urgent for the church who first heard this message. Even more so because time is inexorably moving towards God's future and God's certain victory over death. So I have one last thing to say. And it's not an easy thing to say, but it's in the Bible and I can't ignore it. The Hebrews author ends this whole section by saying that God knows us completely. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And again, this takes us back to images from the Garden of Eden. The first is Genesis 2.25, where the man and woman were both naked and they were not ashamed. The second is shortly after, after they've disobeyed God. And they suddenly see their nakedness as a reason for shame and fear, and they hide from God. And the Hebrews author is suggesting that we have the same choice before us today, and it's an urgent one. We can obey God by striving to enter the rest that he has made possible for us, holding on to our brother and savior, Jesus. Or we can drift away into disobedience because our hearts become hard by the sin that deceives us into thinking that those things are better than what God has for us. Those who fell away in the wilderness did, did so because of that, because of disobeying God, and as a result, they could not enter into God's promised rest. Our disobedience today means the same, but we're talking about the end of things. We're talking about eternity with our God. Because the story is coming to a conclusion and it could happen any moment. So I exhort you all now, as you should exhort me, and we should all exhort one another, as long as it's called today, which it is today, not to harden your hearts, but to grab hold of Jesus right now, Never let go. And let me just say this again to finish. God is not so concerned with how fast we get there as he is with who we are when we get there. The wilderness is a transformative time, but it's only temporary. We know what we have to do while we're here. It's written. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. We don't know when it's going to be over, but we do know that today is called today. We can be pretty sure of that, right? So today is when we need to make our choice. Let's stand and pray. If I could ask the band to reassemble.
just going to pray. Father, we, we learn in these scriptures that the example our fathers, our ancestors set for us in the wilderness was to be so overcome by difficulties there that they longed to be back in captivity. But you kept your promise to them even when they didn't hold on to it. And God, we just don't want to be like that. Father, we pray that you will soften our hearts now. That we won't be deceived and seduced by sin. Father, help us to turn our eyes from what is behind us and to set our eyes on our pioneer, Jesus, so that we may follow him, follow you into perfect rest where there is no more pain or mourning or tears. For that's what you've promised. You've said that we'll share it if we hold firm to you. So that's what we resolve to do today.